In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. The Feast of the Ascension is bringing to a close the 40 days that Jesus spent with uh, the Apostles. Or perhaps we should say not exactly with the Apostles, but he spent 40 days appearing to them from time to time and helping them to understand the new reality that he had risen from the dead. He is truly risen. The Acts of the Apostles says, he presented himself to them alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. And so the, this period of time comes to an end with the, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus to heaven, which culminates the resurrection, you might say, he already belongs in the heavenly world, his glorious body, but remains with us during those 40 days so as to present himself alive and many proofs to persuade the apostles who needed a bit of persuasion. Think of Thomas and how hard it was for him to accept the fact that it wasn't all over, that Jesus had truly risen from the dead, that it was only beginning the whole process of spreading the word, of bringing the life of Christ to many souls. It was just starting now. He found that hard to accept, but eventually he saw it too. So in those 40 days, Jesus spent time with the apostles. He ate and drank with them. He showed himself to be truly the same Jesus, truly alive, having conquered death. Not in the way that Lazarus, for example, had been raised from the dead in order to die again. Jesus Christ, having risen from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more power over him. And the feast day has a, a two, uh, looks in two directions. It's paradoxical. On the one hand, it tells us about Jesus' absence. He, he's no longer uh, with us. And the apostles feel this very deeply. In Acts chapter 1, we're told that when he had said these things to them, he was lifted up as they were looking on, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, 
Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Because they needed to. They, they were wistful. They were wondering, you know, where has he gone? When will we see him again? It must have been a huge bereavement to them to know that this, this finally was it. Now he had left them. But at the same time, Jesus had told them many times that he would be with them always till the end of the world. That in lots of different ways they would notice his presence. Because as we can put it with Pope Benedict that Jesus is now with the Father, with God. And in that sense, he's closer to us than ever. Because if we're close to God, we're close to everybody. And obviously, in the case of Jesus, it's not just being close to God. His humanity is now with the Father, is now enfolded into the life of the Trinity in a new way. And our humanity, too, is given that new uh, lease of life, you might say, that whole new dimension with Jesus. So he will be with us always. He hasn't left us or abandoned us. He is still one of us and has brought us with him to be in the presence of God, in the presence of the Father. We're already here in this life enjoying that vision of God in grace, in the sacraments and in prayer and in everything that we do because Jesus has touched everything that we do and has given it a, a whole new significance. But he has left us and he has left us to be our mediator before the Father. You plead for us at the right hand of the Father. The liturgy of the Mass puts it in the penitential rite. Jesus is our mediator, our advocate. He is pleading for us. And we pray in the life of the Church through him. All of our prayers end through Christ our Lord. He is the one mediator between God and man. And so the church wants to pray through him. Everything comes through him. So I suppose on the day of the Ascension, it can inspire us to hear those prayers in, in a new way, to hear that conclusion that those prayers have through Christ our Lord. We ask this, we grant this, in the new translation of the Missal, the, there, we don't have that phrase, we ask this through Christ our Lord, or grant this through Christ our Lord, because the Church wanted to give space to that ambiguity, that it's both. We're asking through Christ, and we expect to receive through Christ. So it's an opportunity for us to be even more aware of this presence of Christ at the right hand of the Father bringing our prayers, pleading for us, understanding us, because he's one of us, and placing us in the presence of the Father. And yet we, we miss 
Jesus' presence amongst us, as the apostles must have. They who actually lived with him, who spoke to him, talked to him, heard what he was saying, were his friends. I call you friends. How much they must have missed Jesus' presence. As he ate and drank and worked and lived, like us, in all things but sin. Nothing can ever really be the same in this world of ours. And, and, and in that sense, that absence is not a complete absence. Because by the fact that Jesus has lived amongst us, has touched our work, our friendships, our weaknesses, they'll never be the same again. And we can find God in those ordinary things in a way that couldn't have been done before. Jesus was with us before the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. We couldn't have found God in the midst of the world in quite the same way, even though, of course, God is everywhere, as the theologians and philosophers will tell us, God is everywhere. But with Jesus, he's with us in a new way. He has infected our world with his presence, with his divinity. And that makes a big difference. So Lord, even though the apostles were wistfully looking after, after you as you, you went on your way to the Father, they could turn to the world around them and find traces of you everywhere. And surely they did, <coughs> as they used your words, as they tried to imitate the way you treated people, as they allowed themselves to be inspired by the many things that, that, you, that they had seen you do. They must have been constantly reminded of you and of what you did and of how you did it and did their best to imitate that. But more than just imitate, to live in that because you were allowing them to live your life and you allow us to do the same in grace. And the sacraments are prolonging this presence of yours in a really particular way because you forgive us our sins, because you give yourself to us as our food. And in all the other sacraments as well, you manage to touch the reality of our lives, the reality of our lives, not some kind of, a, of a, an idealized life where everything is perfect and nice and works out really well. No, the reality of our lives where things are not always perfect, where problems arise, where misunderstandings and difficulties come up and we have to deal with them. You are with us. You have touched all of that. So help us to allow you to touch us in the sacraments. Just as so many people allowed you to touch them during your life. That little girl 
who had died. You took her by the hand and said, Talitha Kumi, little girl, I say to you, rise up. You touched her, even physically, but you touched everybody. Saint Jose Maria, on his in his homilies, on this feast of the Ascension, used to talk about the other side of Jesus' Ascension, the presence side of it, by talking about how we can approach Jesus in the bread and in the Word, and how He approaches us in those two things, in the bread, the sacraments, and the word, his message, his inspiration, the things he says to us. And during these 40 days of Easter, coming up to the Feast of the Ascension, we can see how this rapport with the apostles, which was always so close, must have got onto an even closer uh, level of connection. Because certainly in those 40 days, he was, as the Acts of the Apostles says, we saw at the beginning, you know, he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs. He was showing them that he had truly risen from the dead. Think of the way he walked along the road to Amos with the two disciples. Think of the way he showed his wounds to Thomas in the upper room eight days after the resurrection. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Even think of the way that he retains those wounds. There was a great medieval uh, devotion in these countries to think of the wounds of Christ. He didn't leave them aside. His body wasn't kind of sanitized of them because they were the badge of his love for us. No wonder that the Paschal candle has those five grains of incense placed in it to recall the five wounds of Christ and how they show forth his love for us and his concern. But as well as proving, showing to the apostles and to everybody that he had truly risen from the dead, and it's nice to think how reluctant the apostles were to believe, it wasn't as if they were on just waiting for this moment. They were very reluctant. They, could, they couldn't really take it in for quite a bit. It had actually happened. And some of them, like Thomas, had to be actually persuaded, sat down, take your hand, place it in my side. That's, that's encouraging. They, they, were, they were hesitant, they were dubious, and yet they were convinced. And they were ready to give their lives for what had convinced them. So 40 days of doing this, but also 40 days of strengthening, developing, the apostles to um, understand 
who they truly were and who Christ truly was. He ate and drank with them to be close to them, to show them that he truly risen from the dead. And he also lifted them up. It wasn't easy for the apostles, and perhaps their hesitation and doubt was not just a purely intellectual matter, hard to believe in the resurrection, which of course it is in theory, um, but it was a bit deeper than that. It was a more personal thing. They had been involved in the passion in a very awkward way for them. Peter had denied him three times. The other apostles had run away. And they couldn't just turn around and say, oh, he's risen from the dead, so there's no problem. There was a problem. We noticed that Peter, in all of those 40 days, hardly says a word. He's usually the spokesman on any occasion where someone has to, to speak. It's always in Peter, Simon. Whereas after the resurrection, there's not a cheap out of him because, well, he doesn't feel particularly confident in himself and neither do the others. That last day when Jesus makes breakfast um, for, for them by the side of the lake after they've caught the 153 fish, over and over, St. John says, nobody dared to ask, nobody dared to say, nobody said, etc. Um, because they were a little bit reticent now, a bit silent. And Jesus had to find a way to strengthen their faith and hope in him. Faith and hope that they be his witnesses as he had already intimated because well who are they to do this when he was alive they had run away afterwards well how would they do any better than that so he takes peter aside when they had finished breakfast and jesus said to simon peter Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so on, three times. And the third time, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He's not claiming that, that he can say this or that the evidence is in his favour. He just leaves it in our Lord's hands. Lord, you know everything. You know that in spite of so much, I love you. And this was part of the process of recalling Peter to his role of feeding the sheep of Christ, of being the good shepherd for everyone, even for the other apostles. Helping him to see that he, he could do this, that Jesus trusted him. 
Perhaps he didn't trust himself, but Jesus trusted him. Also, these 40 days were an opportunity for the apostles to learn what their mission would truly be. The very last moment on the day of the ascension, they ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And our Lord replies, it's not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So they, their political outlook, they're wanting everything to be sorted here below things to be worked out organized settled once and for all the kingdom to israel the davidic kingdom in a purely natural horizontal sense that would have been a dream come true for the apostles but there was a bigger dream that jesus wanted them to dream and that's why his answer so that question is to ascend into heaven and telling to tell them that the Holy Spirit will come and make everything clear to them. And indeed the Holy Spirit does clarify everything. So many promises in the Last Supper, which we read at Mass these days, in our Lord's final discourse to the Apostles, the Spirit of Truth will come upon you, lead you into the full truth, he will remind you of all things, whatever I have said to you. Reminding, not in the sense of something that they'd forgotten, but helping them to understand what they had heard and did remember, but that hadn't really clicked yet at the level that it needed to. All of those things are part of the work of the Holy Spirit. He, purif he will purify, he will finish that task of purifying their perhaps overworldly approach. And he can also help us as well to understand these things. To understand that you know, being an apostle doesn't mean that everything would work out the way we would like it to work out. The, the greatest periods of apostolate and holiness in the life of the church has always, have always been times which were difficult. And up against it, the Reformation, the iconoclastic heresy, the other early moments of difficulty in the life of the church, cometh the hour, cometh the saint, who has the insight and who helps people to grasp what's really happening at a new and deeper level. If it hadn't been for the problem, if it hadn't been for the heresy, if it hadn't been for the, the difficulty probably the church would never have gone as deep as she did into whatever the reality might be. And I suppose we could say same for our own times, which are just like any other time that you like to mention, where we are faced with perhaps, you know, religious indifference. And that's an opportunity also for the church to help us to show, well, that God loves us, that he really thinks the world of us, and that we matter to him. 
because that's the way to overcome religious indifference. It's not a case of persuading or arguments or um, making everything clear. It's a case of reaching the heart, because it's the heart that could be indifferent, could be a bit cold or lukewarm or whatever phrase you like to use, and it can be warmed up. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. That's what he does. And help us to build. St. Peter, quoting uh, one of the Psalms, often talks about Jesus as the cornerstone of the building. I suppose as the, the builder of the church, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Perhaps he felt a tiny bit embarrassed to be called a rock, given his propensity to make promises and not keep them, and so on. And in his humility, he turned to the true rock. The rock was Christ. He is the cornerstone the stone rejected uh, by the builders has become the cornerstone. St. Peter built upon that stone. And we also would like to build on Christ, on him, in all the different ways that we can do it, by praying to him, by receiving the sacraments with greater uh, fervour and faith and hope let alone charity, which of course we receive from the sacraments. But we can also bring more faith, because it's God's grace that inspires us to have more faith, to make a spiritual communion before we receive Holy Communion, or to make an act of faith when we receive the sacrament of penance, that we are truly putting on Christ. We may feel the same afterwards, but we have actually put on Christ in our lives through the work of grace. After Jesus had ascended to heaven, the apostles, you'd wonder what would they do now? To whom would they go? To whom would they turn? We return, they were told in the Acts of the Apostles again that they returned to Jerusalem uh, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, uh, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And Matthias, whose feast day we celebrated the other day, will shortly join them by, by lot. And all these, with one accord, devoted themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. They turned to Mary, instinctively, 
and Christians always have instinctively turned to her. I suppose that's what she really means when she says in the Magnificat, all generations will call me blessed, which of course we, we do, we will. But it also means all generations will turn to me. All generations will need me in their lives. Maybe it's a sort of sense of, well, I'm not going to have much uh, a moment's rest now uh, because they're all going to turn to me instinctively. And of course, she's delighted that we should do that. So today, the Feast of the Ascension is a good opportunity for us to, during this month of May, just have a look and see how we are turning to her, bringing her into our lives, into the big and small things that come up, knowing that she cares, she knows what we need, and she can help us to um, turn to her son and rely on him and build on him, build everything we do on that firm cornerstone. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.